Our scripture lesson is a very familiar lesson. It's taken from the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm reading from the King James Version. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou when thou prayest, Enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May God bless to our hearts an understanding of this, his word.
received a blessing. We were privileged to have sing for us today Mr. Dick Faulkner, who is a soloist with the Lay Renewal Ministry, which is familiar to many of you who are Methodists as well as Presbyterians. He has been a frequent soloist here in Montreat at conference programs, and I'm very happy that he was predestined to be in Montreat this week. <laughs> The simplicity and the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. Two weeks ago, 
we began by saying that it is necessary for us to have our old human nature changed. A great ruler of the Pharisees, the Jews, a man by the name of Nicodemus, a learned brother, a member of the Sanhedrin, had come to Jesus. And Jesus had instructed this learned theologian with all of his years and experience and knowledge that it was essential that he be born again, born again by the Spirit of God, born again of his heavenly Father. My earthly father was responsible for my creation, and we are to be born again by the Spirit of God with a spiritual new birth, a birth from above. And I enter then into a unique relationship to God. I am his child in a new way, not just by creation and that old nature which had sinned against him, but in a brand new relationship. And this is important for us to remember. The Gospel of John begins by saying, that to as many as received him, that is Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so it's important for us to remember that we are sons of God in the true sense. Only when we are born from above, which is a ministry of the Holy Spirit, which has led us under the conscious lordship of Christ. Once we are in that responsible relationship to him, then we begin to grow in our Christian faith. And one of the means in which we grow is to learn all that we can about Jesus. I'm so excited by the number of students who have come here this year who are oriented toward true Christian discipleship. And it is important for these young people to get into the Bible and to learn all that they can about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his disciples followed him everywhere he went. They followed him, learning of him, listening to his words, understanding how he reacted to certain situations. And so too we learn. We come to know him in the pages of the Bible, the Old Testament which predicted his coming, the four Gospels which give us a detailed account of his life, the book of Acts which shows us how his people fanned out into the world to take the Christian message, the letters which are written for our instruction, and the book of Revelation with its strange but powerful promises of things to come and things that had happened to the early church. One of the most important lessons that any young Christian can learn is the lesson of how to pray effectively. And I suppose that there are few things which are more confusing to people than prayer. I believe that most people try to pray at one time or another, but their reasoning goes something like this. Well, I'm up against it again, God, and since it doesn't cost me anything, I might as well try praying. And if it works, I'll be better off, and if it doesn't work, I haven't lost any money. Now, that's the way a lot of people look at prayer. And they sort of form a spiritual bingo deal where they say, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that. Then one day what they ask for comes true, so then they say, bingo, this is an answer to prayer. 
Well, that's not prayer. Our catechism is careful to tell us in the Presbyterian Church as well as the books of Christian instruction in most other denominations that prayer is an offering up of our desires to God according to his will. And therefore Jesus, when he is teaching his disciples to pray, wanted to show them how to worship. If you noticed a while ago when those deacons came down the aisle carrying with them the offering plates with money which had been given, I had said prior to that, let us worship God with our gifts, because in giving we are worshiping God. But let me say this, that those dollar bills that walk down the aisle of a church, like a bride coming down the aisle of the church to be married, or to be wedded to the purposes of God and to be used for his glory. Many an old dollar bill never made it down the aisle. <laughs> they wanted to, like some ladies. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the dollar bill uh, that comes down the aisle is to be dedicated to God and to be used for his glory. And uh, he means uh, for us uh, to take it in that way. And our Lord Jesus is trying to teach us a contrast of some people that he saw. His disciples were interested in Jesus' prayer life because they saw him pray and because they saw him do truly tremendous things. They had seen the Lord Jesus out on a storm-tossed sea when they were frightened to death and when he was sound asleep on a pillow in the little boat where they were. And when they roused him, they said, Master, do you not care that we perish? And Jesus, with a calm that could only come from God, rose, and the words which he spoke to the boisterous wind and to the tremendous waves were very simple. He said this, Hush, be still. And the winds died into a dead calm. And the disciples said, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey his voice? They had seen the Lord Jesus when a man crippled from birth was touched by his gracious hands and his bones were strengthened and renewed and they had seen power transmitted from him. And this is because our Lord Jesus was always in prayer. And he told us that men ought always to pray and not, ought always to pray and not to faint. Now this does not mean that we are always to be in some stilted formal prayer, but it means that our hearts are to be in an attitude of prayer. One of the hymns in our hymn book has expressed it beautifully. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, unuttered or expressed the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye when none but God is near. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice returning from his ways while angels in their songs rejoice and cry aloud, he prays. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath the Christian's native heir, his watchword at the gates of death, he enters heaven with prayer. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, 
the path of prayer thyself hath trod. Lord, teach us how to pray. Well, in majestic simplicity, the Lord Jesus teaches us how to pray. And he gives us that prayer which Dick sung so beautifully a moment ago. And the thing that grips you the most about it is the sincerity and the simplicity with which it may be offered. And it has been prayed by kings and queens, by lords and ladies, by generals and private soldiers, by beggars, by poverty-stricken people, by more people than any other prayer in all the whole wide world. Today, millions of people have already prayed this prayer. But when we pray it, do we understand what we are praying? It's important for us to look at it so that we are not guilty of vain repetitions and simply a prayer by rote. I have myself led in this prayer so many times by gravesides, at weddings, in church services, at communion, in many, many places, and it's an entirely appropriate prayer if we think about how we're praying. The sixth chapter of Matthew is a part of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, and in it he pointed out to his disciples that they had to be careful, that they did not imitate the play actors before God that they saw uh, on the streets with their giving. Those people whose gifts were not really given over to God, but were given as a display for men to see. And Jesus warned against that. He knew that the scribes and the Pharisees were people who wanted to make an ostentatious display of their gifts. And so they would take handfuls of coins and fling them into a big copper chest. And when it would ring, they were calling this sounding the trumpet. But Jesus admonished us when we give not to let our left hand know what our right hand was doing, but to give as though God only were watching. And he wanted us to keep that very much in mind. Just before he died, the last gift that Dr. Nelson Bell made to this church, he had made because he saw the treasurer down at the post office and there was a need which he felt ought to be met. He handed him a check and said, I don't want anyone to know about this and gave him a gift that was to be made. That's the mark of true giving. Giving so that your father in heaven alone is knowing and he is watching and he is the only one who really counts anyway as far as that giving is concerned. What is true about giving is also true about prayer. You see, worship is made up, and in this sixth chapter, he speaks about giving and praying and fasting. And now he's going to deal with prayer. And so here he begins to say to them, when they want him to teach him, them how to pray, that they are to enter into conversation with the Father. They had noticed how intimately Jesus felt with his Father how with utter simplicity he could open up his heart and make his prayers uh, to God. And they wanted to be able to pray as he prayed. And so he said, when you pray, pray something like this. Now this is not a prayer which he made for himself because Jesus never committed any sin. But it is a prayer which he gave as a pattern of prayer. 
and a method of prayer to teach his disciples then and his disciples down through the ages how to pray. He wanted us to know this. First of all, he said that we were to speak to God as our Father. I alluded earlier to that new relationship we have to him when once the Spirit of God has called us unto himself. And we can go to him as a father, as a child to a loving father. Now here let me say that this word father has been grossly distorted because of many unworthy fathers. On the television set, the father is usually made to look out look like Archie Bunker or some stupid boob who uh, is there and the, is browbeaten by this or henpecked that way. And this is the dumb father. And so we have a distorted uh, view of father. And in all too many instances, in great ghettos and slum districts of our country, there's really no father figure at all. And then we have children Children who have received everything in the world that can be made out of plastic or metal or bought with money, which has been given to them by guilty parents who would not give them the love that a father ought to give them. And so the word father sometimes does not take on the meaning that it should for some. Now let me say at this point, if you are one of those people who has come from such a background as that, it may take you a little longer to learn about father. But you can learn. My earthly father died when I was only 14 months old. The next father figure that I had was an old German grandfather. He died when I was five years old. And I remember when my brothers came and told me that my grandfather was dead. They said that he was in heaven, that he was very happy. But I was sad and hurt down inside because I had a wonderful relationship with that old man. I used to ride with him in his car. He spoke, he spoke uh, English with a German accent. And uh, as a little child, my mother used to say that I even spoke a, a Texas German accent <laughs> type of language because of the devotion for my grandfather. Well, it was because he was always with us and he was always showing us kindness and he was always being very patient with us and how we loved him. I used to think that all the angels in heaven had white hair simply because my grandfather had white hair and he was so good. And I thought that white hair was the most beautiful of all hair uh, because his hair was white and he was good. Well, uh, we must think about a father who is everything we want him to be. You remember the little blind child's conception of God? The blind child little tiny blind girl who said, I know what mother's face is like. I think I know it well. It's like the music of a bell. It's like the stories fairies tell. It's like the way the roses smell. My mother's face is all of that to me. I know what father's face is like, although it I cannot see. It's like his step upon the stair. It's like his whistle in the air. It's like his arms that take such care and never let me fall. And so I know what God is like, the God that no man sees. He's everything my mother means. He's everything my father seems. He's all my very fairest dreams and more than all of these. So said Jesus, come to him 
as your dear father, Martin Luther, in the German uh, Lutheran Catechism, uh, uses the very tender word here for father. The word for father used here by the Lord Jesus is the same word which St. Paul uses in the 8th chapter of Romans and in Galatians when he says that we may say, Abba, Father. Now the reason that when you read the English translation, you see Abba, Father, even in Romans and even in Galatians is very simply, there is no adequate way of expressing that tender, affectionate way in prayer except to render the uh, Aramaic uh, rendition of it that's there. Abba, Father means Father, my dear Father. Daddy is too trite a way, and you couldn't put it there, but it, it's, it's affectionate like that. It's our dear Father. Now, how are we to go with him in conversation? Conversation with the Father is very important. A little child that comes into the world develops when this conversation begins to develop, and so do we develop as spiritually as our conversation with God begins to develop. That's important. I am often asked to mediate. To mediate between a husband and a wife. Where the wife says, I can no longer speak to him. He won't listen to me. And the husband says, I can't talk to him anymore, uh, her anymore. She won't listen to me. And they bicker back and forth until finally an intermediary has to come. And they say, say this to him and say that to them. And you work that way. And it comes often between a father and a child. And that's a terrible thing. We need to to keep the communication lines open so that we can grow. And you cannot keep them open unless you spend time with each other. You must spend time with your children. You must spend time with your family. Otherwise, you cannot really come to know each other. It's just essential. Fenelon, Francois Fenelon said this about prayer. Tell God all that is in your heart is one unloads one's heart to a dear friend. People who have no secrets from each other never want for subjects of conversation. They do not weigh their words because there is nothing to be kept back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of their hearts just what they think. Blessed are they who attain to such familiar, unreserved conversation with the Father in heaven. Do you see how important that is? Nothing can be hidden from him. So Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. Enter into conversation with the Father. Now then, what shall we pray about? What do you pray about first when you go to God in prayer? The first petition of the Lord's Prayer in the King James English is, Hallowed be thy name. And this is so often contrary to the way we rank our priorities. Most of us do not pray at all or do not pray fervently until we get into some kind of difficulty. And then the immediate concern of our prayer is that God heal us or God meet our needs or God save our friend and do thus and so for him. But hallowed be thy name. What does it mean? It means to keep holy the purpose and the will of God in our lives and in our minds and in our hearts. It is to seek his honor first. We are to pray secretly, not to use vain repetitions. We are to pray as though God himself only were listening. And let me say this to many of our young friends who seek to enter into a deeper experience with Christ. 
Be careful that your experience is with Christ and that what you're praying, you're not praying out of carnal, fleshly lust to be thought of as being more spiritual than someone else. But be careful that you're praying to the Father and you're oblivious there that your relationship is to be before him. How do you achieve this? The other day I went to see Joni Hilsman over in the hospital. She was at an operation. And she reminded me of something sweet I read the other day about a little girl who, who had had an operation. And one of her friends came to her and uh, she said, did it hurt? And uh, she said, well, not exactly. She said, they came and stuck me in the arm with a needle and then I just disappeared. <laughs> well, now, that's, that, that's a sweet way. Uh, there is a sense in which we need to be stuck in the arm with a needle and just disappear in our prayers. In the sense that we are before God without thought, without so much thought of what other men are doing. You see these people that Jesus pilloried here, these Pharisees, these play actors, the word hypocrite, means a play actor. In that day and time, they didn't change costumes so much, but they had a face that they put on. And the face would be smiling, or the face would be frowning. And so they held this before them, a mask. And Jesus said there were people who pray like that. They put that mask on, and they parade around with their mask. And do you know what Jesus said? He said they go down to the synagogue to get a crowd so that they can pray in front of the crowd. Not because they want to be in the presence of God, but because they want this audience. They would time it so that they just happened to be praying on the street corner at the very busiest time of the day when most people were on the street corner. The same way they did with their gifts. The same thing they did about their fasting. And so Jesus condemns that because it is fleshly. It's to attract the attention of others. You know, frequently in church, we think when we're in the choir, we're the preacher, you're the audience, and here I am preaching, there you are listening, and here we are singing. That's not the way it is at all. The only audience is God. He's the only audience. God is watching us. He knows the thoughts in our minds and the intents of our hearts and all of our purposes. He is the audience. And it's not whether we give a good performance before men but it is whether we are faithful and true to say precisely what God means for us to convey. And so that's important for us to remember. Jesus said about these people whom he calls hypocrites, they have their reward. Their reward is a fleshly thing. They want glory of men. And God Almighty will not share his glory with another. He will not. And that's been the end of many a person whenever they have sought after their own glory and not done secretly before God and lived humbly before him. So even when we pray, we ought to be like the little girl and disappear in the presence of, of God. And what do we seek for? Hallowed be thy name. Luther says we mean by this not only to keep his name reverenced and holy, but to live a life consistent in his, as his child. My children, my boys, can disgrace my name if they do things that are wrong or evil. It disgraces the whole family. 
Well, so it is true of those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. So it is true of those who are children of the Heavenly Father. We dishonor the name of God. That missionary a while ago, Joe Hopper, who prayed, prayed about the tourists and the servicemen and the visitors to other countries. And he prayed that for a very excellent reason. Because a great many of those military personnel and those tourists and those visitors have brought discredit to the name of God in Korea when some of the Koreans have seen how they live. They've thought if these are Christians, then this Christianity has nothing to it at all. I remember uh, a pastor who moved into a new city and he went to a uh, barber shop to get his hair cut. And uh, while he was in the barber shop getting his hair cut, he was brand new, had just been there that week. And uh, the barber was cutting his hair. And the pastor asked him, he said, what church do you go to? And the barber said, I don't go to any church. But he said, if I did go to church, I'd go to that one right down on the corner with the steep roof. Now that was the church of which this new man was pastor. But without telling the barber why, he was asking the question, he said, why would you select that church? And he said, I would select that church because my neighbor next door in the store here is Mr. Scherer. And he belongs to that church. And if that church makes people like him, then that's the kind of church I'd like to belong to. What a tremendous thing that is. Could people say that about you? Can they say that about me? Then this ought to be what we desire, to let our Heavenly Father so work in us that our lips and lives express what it means to hallow his name in all our relationships. Now let me say this further word in conclusion about prayer. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's in Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I cannot say, Lord, tomorrow I want to go down and rob the Northwestern Bank, and so please help me to be so careful that I can get away with it and nobody will ever know that the preacher in Montreat robbed the bank. You see, that's not a very good prayer. And, <laughs> and it wouldn't work anyway. The, the, the Lord uh, doesn't do things that way. And he, I've had people before, I've seen people who were living in immorality. And they had the utter audacity to say, oh, I'm close to God and I pray. That's a lie. That's a lie. They are deceived. That's the business of Satan is to deceive people. And he can deceive you into any kind of evil relationship. I've told you many times, especially the students, that there are some things you don't need to pray about. What you need to do is run from. You don't pray about them, you run from. And, and uh, you don't need to pray about it because you already know it's wrong. It's contrary to what God's word says and you're not going to ask contrary to his will or purpose. Okay, I'm not to regard iniquity in my heart, and I am to pray with faith this prayer, hallowed be thy name. To pray with faith means that I trust in God. Now, if I walked into the bank and I wrote out a check, paid to the order of cash, $100, and threw it to the teller and said, give me five twenties. She said, well, do you have an account here? I said, no, but I just believe in cash and checks. She says, funny man, we, <laughs> we don't believe the same way you do. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have an account here, and you can't cash it. 
Well, faith, faith is more than just saying I believe in prayer. But it means that I have an account with God and I have surrendered my life over to his lordship. And therefore I can come boldly to the throne of grace because I have an account with him. I am his child. And by his grace I am seeking to live in accord with his will. And what I ask of him, I want for the purpose of bringing glory to his name. Prayer, in that way, a God hears. Well, says someone, look, I've done so many things. I've regarded iniquity in my heart. I have not had faith. Will God hear my prayer? Yes, but the first prayer he will hear is one for the forgiveness of sins. He will hear you when you seek that forgiveness. The place to go when your hands are dirty is under a faucet where the water is pouring out and to wash them clean. And that's what I need to do when I sense my sin and that I'm not on praying ground or in a right relationship with God. I am to come to him with a plea for forgiveness. And I am to know that he loves me so much that he will receive me unto himself if I am truly repentant in my heart and I desire to be at one with him. Jesus told the most exquisite story, the story of the prodigal son, he told of a boy who had dishonored his father's name and who had gone away into the far country and had lived in a weary work with his own sin and how one day he came to his senses and he went back home to his father. And Jesus said that the father, when he saw him still a long way off, ran to meet him. And that's the only time in the Bible that God is ever pictured in a hurry. Well, Jesus said, God, your heavenly father, is like that earthly father who ran to meet his son who had come back home again. And if you want the forgiveness of God, then don't wait. Run to him and ask him for that forgiveness, knowing that that love which he demonstrated on the cross when his son died to take away our sins, will embrace us and take us back unto himself. Come ye sinner, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to greet you, all the beauty, love and power. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream, all the fitness he requireth is to know your need of him. Let us stand in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that these words which have been spoken may truly be from your spirit and insofar as they are, we ask you to bless them. And insofar as they have not been, we pray that you will brush them from our memory. We pray, Father, that you will help us to know that Jesus is always listening to hear some sinner pray and that you will take us back unto yourself today, restore us in a loving relationship to you, and make us, by your Spirit's work in our minds and hearts and lives, what we ought to be. Forgive us, Father, for we have failed you. 
put your mind into our hearts and lives and cause us so to live that we may bring honor to your name. Help us, O oh God, to pray aright that prayer which Jesus taught his own disciples to pray. Now let us pray that prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 